You are now entering the MXU podcast. No credentials required. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 49 of the MXU podcast. I'm here with Lee Fields, my good buddy and co-founder, and our great friend and lighting guru, Daniel Cannell. How you doing, boys? What's up? Great, man. Good. It's good to see you guys. So Christmas, not only planning, but actual execution is in full swing this week. So yep. how's it going? You guys had your first uh, service last night, Lee. How was it? We did. It went great, actually. Good. And there are more lights than speakers this time. <laughs> you must you must be learning from MXU lighting. Yeah, I think so. No, it's going good. Um, you know, we California's back on like no one do anything. Yeah, but we had a couple hundred people in there safely. Is so the Chick Fil A drive through still open though? That's the question. Oh, I heard <laughs> that Chick Fil A is having a record breaking year nationally. Banner year. Yeah, they have figured it out. I mean, the, you know, every time I pass by a Chick-fil-A, the line is wrapped around the building twice. McDonald's right across the street has zero customers. <laughs> you know what the trick is? They don't have to pay the, the gal in the lobby to refill drinks anymore. So just getting rid of that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> the senior citizen going around putting fresh cut flowers on the tables and yeah. you know, <laughs> w- wiping everything down and refreshing your drink. Yeah. I, I love Chick-fil-A so much as a company. Yeah. So I'm yeah, really do. I'm really proud that they're succeeding. But that's not but what yeah. we're here to talk about today. No. So you guys had a service and it went great. We did. We had service, it went great. And it's we're doing something really different this year. This is actually good we're talking about it and Daniel's here because we're doing some more stuff visually than we've done before. But also less. we do a lot visually. We do, but but we've also done less this time than we've done before in some ways. So unpack that. How do you do more so, and less? We can only have a couple hundred people in the room. You know, we're we're trying to stick to 25% capacity, so like 500. And we built a Christmas village outside. So there's like you know, the German Christmas village buildings, an ice skating rink, and then a giant Christmas tree. And Alec and Brian designed this it's like Disney Main Street at nine o'clock at night. You know, they do like the little light show with music. Mm-hmm. There's like a 12 minute programmed Christmas tree lighting. Nice. So you guys so, are doing your own Hallmark movie. Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And we've had, and some nights there have been like a thousand people will go through that from sunset till, you know, nine o'clock at night. And there's like fire pits that families can rent while their kids are ice skating and things like that. So it's been cool. So that, and then the inside show, we kind of went, let's try and theme it all together. So it's almost like a theater type thing. So there's like the red velvet ropes getting into the building, the marquee in the lobby. And then the stage design reflects that. So there's no LED wall. There's no lasers. There's no smoke and cryo. There's not, there's not spinning drum risers, like none of that. There is a wall of 80 spikies, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff, but it looks really elegant when you want it to, and there's a fiber optic curtain. So it's like we're trying to trying to make it more warm this year, you know, and less like in your face and like crazy circus, you know, gymnastics people hanging from the ceiling. 
Not that there's anything wrong with that. If you, if any churches are doing that, more power to you. But we've yes. done that. Central's already got that covered, so no yeah. need yeah. to replicate that. <laughs> right. <laughs> we've done that for 10 years, and we thought, let's let's change it up this year. And Daniel's done Christmas with us before, so he knows exactly what I'm talking about. One year he was there, we put LED everywhere and mirrors and lasers. And so it was like, it was bananas. That was my favorite year ever, by the I way. I may or may not have been showing the videos from that over the past week. The uh, what is the there's a big song you guys do there all the time. Um, uh, it's where Lincoln it's just like, goes nuts on the guitar solo. Yeah, the Transylvanian Orchestra, Carol of the Bells the, thing. The, yeah. yeah, it's called Miraculum. Yeah, that Miraculum. Thing. That's it. I still have that clip on Instagram, and every time, every, every year about this time, I end up having someone go back and like it, and that's from probably three or four years ago. Yeah, pull it back out and go. Oh yeah, that was pretty awesome. But honestly, what's not to like, right? Even if you don't have Instagram, you're gonna like it. <laughs> yeah. What you're describing reminds me of what we used to do at Dry Gulch at Church on the Move with Christmas Train. Yes. You have both an external and an internal thing that's all tied together, very themed and all that. And yep. you're, you're making one big, almost like Disney World type experience for everybody. Which yep. I'll be honest, like, I mean, I love big production. I love 80 spikies or, you know, I love people flying through the air. There's something warm and inviting and, you know, very themed about what you're talking about that I think as I get older and we got, I have, you know, those of us that are parents enjoy Christmas through our kids now. Uh, honestly, that type of event uh, usually ends up speaking to us a lot more. So, well, and I think it's part of it's part of why everybody in general gravitates toward the nostalgic traditional Christmas songs. Even like yeah. to me, Christmas is Nat King Cole is the only version of the Christmas song, and Bing Crosby is the only version of White Christmas. It's like there's that sort of taking you back to those classic moments. And I think if we can occasionally do that in our church environments, it, it's really appealing yeah. to people, especially especially in a year like this where things have been so upside down and so antisocial in so many ways. It's like, man, anything that feels like connected, family, close, traditional is going to be pretty impactful this year. So kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, what do you got going on, Daniel? Man, I think this might be one of my first Christmases ever that I personally didn't do a, a Christmas event. Um, you know, we as a company have been involved in helping a, a lot of people with Christmas events, but, um, you know, we had operators over for um, Transformations uh, Churches events here in Tulsa, um, but it's there's no live audience. You know, it's all recorded. So we've already done that last week, and I guess they start showing it um, coming up this weekend. Um, in fact, I think they've done their last, well, I, better, I better not tell all their information. Um, yeah. I think though it's it, probably their last live thing uh, recorded in the room for the rest of this year. Uh, we're actually going in tomorrow and starting to work on a lot of uh, preparation for some stuff they're doing next year. So we're kind of getting an advanced start on that. So it's weird running up into the holidays. We don't have Christmas shows, but we helped Transformation. We helped our friends. Uh, you, know, you brought up Central a minute ago. They did a lot of new stuff for Christmas. Um, which if anybody didn't watch that on TV, the, I think they call it, is it Night of Hope? I believe is what they call it. I think so, yeah. Yeah, go back and check it out if you didn't. Um, some really cool, uh, not VR, but uh, AR, AR. Type, type stuff they did. Um, and then we have a couple other clients, you know, we still do a ton of stuff with Church on the Move and they've had a little bit more of a reduced service, but we're, you know, that's one of the things I love about what we're doing as a company now is we're not necessarily the ones in there producing all of it. We kind of get to act as a, as a support network for these, these other churches and teams to pull their stuff off. And um, honestly, I find that a lot more fulfill, fulfilling than uh, trying to knock out one big one by ourselves. We're involved in some level at probably six, seven, eight with other people 
So it's kind of nice to tee those guys up and then just watch them crush it. That's so, very cool. Yeah, that's awesome. So before we started recording today, we were talking about a little bit along those lines of you know setting up a team for success. Um, one problem though that we've run into time and again, it seems like, is you know, and okay, we used to say it one way, so we'll change. We'll change the way we say this in deference to the Washington football team and the Cleveland baseball team. It, it's not the arrow, it's the archer. Okay, we'll change our, our thing to that. But um, <laughs> the. Um, I want to call it, it's, it's not, not the bow, it's, it's the hunter. Okay, there you go. It's not the yes. bow, it's the hunter. Um, and Daniel's with me. He's a bow hunter now. There you go. But, you know, the objective is still the same. The, I've wounded deer. The, 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 the animal <laughs> needs to die. Um, but anyway. So many people think that it's about the gear. And so you as an integrator, Daniel, or us, uh, you know, if we ever consult on things, you know, people have this wish list of gear that they think is going to get them to the finish line. And so you go in and you train them and you set them up. And then three, four weeks later, they forgot that one thing you said about that one button. And what does this do? And there's this support thing that needs to happen, but it's really about more than just straight tech support. It's about, you know, this ongoing attitude of, well, if I only had this piece of gear, everything would be great. Nothing would break. My services would be awesome. Creativity would suddenly explode. All those things that are necessary, not necessarily true. So let's talk about that for a few minutes. Give me, a, give me an example and, and maybe where you've seen it lately and how we need to think about it differently. You know, I'll have to leave the names out to protect the innocent, but... Um you know, that's, that's been one of our biggest challenges as a company uh, as we've been growing. And then also probably what really makes me passionate about being part of MXU is, you know, from the gear standpoint, we can put the nicest stuff out there into a facility. And, and we have, you know, I'm, again, I'm going to leave people completely nameless because I don't want to call anyone out. We've had a project recently where uh, amazing project, um, wonderful gear package, you know, top notch, everything across the board. Uh, but from day one, we've been encouraging this client to invest more in their people, to invest more in, in, in growing the knowledge of their teams. Um, that you know, and even you know, spelled it out as clearly as I could to them that there's only so far that we can take them in terms of designing out the system uh, creatively, designing it out technically, picking the right gear to supply. All of that stuff is important, and it's a it's a piece of the puzzle. You know, but without the, we noticed a, a very obvious. Um, maybe deficiency in the experience of their internal team. Wonderful guys, uh, amazing hearts. Um, I think really passionate about learning and growing, but perhaps haven't been presented with the, the opportunities and the abilities to do so. Um, and it's, that's going to be, you know, no matter how nice the gear package was, it's going to be limited by that, by the, yeah. the hunter, as, as Lee said. Um, and, you know, it's, we're trying to sculpt ourselves as, as a company to, to tackle some of that on the front end. And I think far too often, and, and I, I think there's, there's blame on, on both sides here, but a, a lot of churches, I think, look at integrators and go, oh, your job is to provide everything. You're going to come in, you're going to make it all perfect for us. You know, you're going to educate our team. You're going to make it all nice and polished. And, and it's going to be wonderful after that. We're going to have no problems left because we just spent you know, $500,000 or whatever on this new gear package. Um, 
the fact is that's not the way it works. At some point, integrators are going home. Um, and I even know some other wonderful integration companies. Um, you know, pretty much all the ones that you've heard their names mentioned through MXU before have some level of training they do with, with the clients. Um, sure, yeah. You know, that's why I love partnering with those guys, even though a lot of times they're also my competitors. I know every single one of them is, is personally passionate about educating the people on these teams. But at some point, they go home. Um, and you, you know, it's, it's, comp- you know, completely in the lap of, of the local guys at that point. And I think that's, there's continues to be a misunderstanding of the way that works. Cause I, I have seen very few churches that invest in their teams. And that, that, that means a lot of things. You could, you know, investing in their teams, we could probably spend the next 10 minutes just going over all the different things that that might mean everything from follow-up training to salaries to get the right people in there to, you know, focusing on keeping their, you know, you know, in an industry like ours where it's very easy to have a, an unhealthy life because of the amount of work that goes on and the hours that we go into it. Um, you know, so even down to that of, of the personal investment in people to make sure they stay healthy through these busy times. Um, I see very, very few churches that get it right. But I see a lot of churches that have no problem going and dropping hundreds of thousands of dollars on new gear, where if you peeled out a percentage of that and invested it back into your team, you're going to have exponential results in the other way. Yeah. Um, so I don't know that we have the answer, but that's definitely become one of our passions right now is trying to help sort that out. So Daniel, you were telling us a story earlier about a project from a few months ago where you walked into the backstage and it was almost like, you know, the concentric circles that are rings on the cross section of a tree where you could see this dark spot where somebody had come in who knew what they were doing and it was like, okay, reset. And then there's this gap and then another reset and then going as you go. So, you know, the growth of the tree over time is sort of there, but it's not in a healthy way. We have encountered several that way where the, uh, you know, we see that at some point someone came in that really knew what they were doing. Um, but then it, it's like you can almost look at the, the organization of the gear, the way the consoles are laid out, even down to the and I know this is going to seem like a minor thing, but this is the first thing I look at when I walk into a new facility. How organized is your backstage space? Mm, yeah. You know, are your microphones just shoved into a drawer? Are they actually, do they get put back in the cases after every Sunday and stored correctly? You know, is there, if I need to find an extension cord, is there a place I can go to find one? Or is it go dig through the Tupperware boxes over in the corner until I pull out some old orange one from six years ago? Um that is the first detail that tells me what everything else is going to be like is, is, you know, and it boils down to the, you know, what you do with the small things. Well, I'm really excited about our special guest today. We've got Ford sellers coming to us from Chauvet. I never know if it's Chauvet, Chauvet, Chauvet. So he's going to clarify the pronunciation too, but um, we'll just, you know, pronounce it based on what he says. But anyway, um, I'm excited because he's an expert. He's their product development manager. He's in charge of a team of 20 that actually build the stuff. And so we're going to do a deep dive, and I'm really excited. So let's go to it. So guys, this is one I'm, I'm especially excited about and I've been hoping for a while we could do. Um, you know, I love nerding out on lighting topics, but I also don't consider it my personal strong suit. You know, numbers and facts and figures and, and all that kind of go in one ear and out the other. And, um, you know, I consider myself one of the ones that can... I, I, my wheelhouse is the creative side and I, I'm, I'm just dangerous, uh, dangerous enough to understand some of the technical, uh, but it's having relationships with people like our guest today, Ford sellers from Chave that, 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 you know, uh, make me feel comfortable when I do have to go into the, more of these nerdy topics. I have someone who I can call and explain some of this out to me. Uh, so this is one today where, you know, I want to get a lot into, 
you know, the facts, the figures, the details of quality of light and how we measure that. We do all that. And I don't know another person more perfect than Ford Sellers to uh, help explain some of that to us. So Ford, welcome. Hi, uh, I'm glad to be here. Glad to spend some time with you guys. And Daniel, just so you know, literally everything that's said today, I will be learning. So it may be parts of what's said today you're going to learn. But Jeff and I, this is like, we're in kindergarten right now. So yeah, you guys are using initials that I've never even heard before when you talk about CRI and PDQ and ASAP. All uh, There's other things that I'm just like, don't even know what these are. So I'm excited to learn as well. What Jeff and I are most excited about is uh, we now have Ivy League credentials on the MXU podcast for the first time. So I was a uh, I was the master electrician for Cornell University School of Theater, Film and Dance for uh, about ten years. So I got there in uh, uh, two thousand one and was there until I joined uh, Chauvet, which was uh, about two thousand nine. Uh, so yeah, it's been. Uh, I'll be glad to to tell you whatever you want to know. Well, that's one of the things I've always enjoyed about our conversations and uh, is that you and I have a similarity in that our, our, we originated in theater world. That was correct for you, right? Yeah, yeah. well, so yes. I mean, I, I studied theater in college. Um, after that, I went out to Las Vegas and I worked on big production shows. So I worked on effects uh, with Michael Crawford, um, was there for about two and a half years uh, through the first big changeover of that um, went and worked for some other production shows. And then from there uh, moved into corporate and event lighting, um, opened the MGM's in-house production company, MGM Grand Productions uh, was the assistant lighting director for that. Uh, and then from there went back and started working at, at uh, Cornell teaching classes in uh, lighting technology and just lighting practicums. And then also uh, handling the electrics for all the shows. Awesome. That's cool. I didn't realize that a school like Cornell had such a robust theater program. So at the time it was, uh, we were doing, we had a uh, performing arts center, uh, with four theaters, um, uh, one big main stage, one, we called it our flexible stage. So it was like a big black box, a regular black box and a dance theater. And we had about, uh, 11 or 12 shows a year that were the, the Cornell produced shows. And then we had uh, two visiting shows that came in every year. So it was a, a pretty robust, exciting, dynamic place. And we did a lot of different stuff. Awesome. So we, we mentioned that you are with Chauvet now, but just take a minute and tell us more about exactly what it is you do there, what your role at Chauvet is. Sure. Uh, I'm the senior product manager for Chauvet Professional uh, Illuminarch, which is our uh, architectural lighting company. Uh, and then I also kind of serve that role for campuses in the U.S. Um, you guys may be aware, but a few years ago, uh, Chauvet acquired campuses. Um, since then, we've uh, they're completely independently uh, run business. Uh, they run out of the UK, but uh, we provide a little a little guidance. Uh, you know, we assist with marketing. We do a lot of uh, market research for them and, and kind of uh, help guide where their some of their uh, product development goes. So, 
Cool. And so kind of summarizing, you you personally design all the Chauvet products or you lead the team that does it or how's... Yeah. So I, I lead the team that, that designs all the Chauvet uh, professional products. So under me, awesome. I have uh, I have three product managers. Uh, we have, uh, well, there's about 20 people in our department and uh, and I'm the leader on the Chauvet Pro side. I remember when I first uh, met you guys, probably five or six years ago, that was one of the things that actually stood out to me. I think a lot of people assume that with a lot of products like this, it's designed overseas somewhere and built in a factory and just shipped over. That's not the case with Chauvet. You guys design everything here in the US, specifically down in Florida, develop at the product, and then pass that on to your manufacturing support. Yeah. So yeah, that that that's a pretty good a pretty good description. I mean, we have we have uh, CAD engineers, we have engineers, we have uh, we have technical writers, we have uh, all of that is all done in house. Um, we come up with the product ideas. Uh, we will work with um, uh, some engineers overseas, uh, you know, on specific technical details and making things so that they're perfect for manufacturing. And then we do our manufacturing overseas. Awesome. Okay, so getting down now into the, 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 the guts of the convo, uh, this is the part that I've been most excited about. Um, you know, since starting MXU, uh, MXU Lighting, and then even before that, just through doing um, educational stuff, through the SEEDS program at Church of the Move that we did years ago, or even just, you know, in conversations that I have personally with other LDs around the country, um, some of the most common questions I have are getting into some of the ways we measure light. Um, whether the way we measure the illuminance of it, the way we measure the the color temperature, the quality of the light. And that's one of the things I always enjoy so much about mine and your conversations is every single time we talk about this, I walk away, you know, to, to use the pun, illuminated uh, as to... Uh, <laughs> oh, good one, Daniel. <laughs> yeah, that's my, my dad joke for the day. Um, you know, as to, as to, you know, something else about the way this works. So that's really what I'm hoping to kind of get into today. Um, a lot of the questions we have are built around color temperature and illuminance. Those are the two places that I think most um, up-and-coming LDs, especially in the church market, think that the, the, um, the importance really lies when it comes to measuring light. But in fact, it's a whole lot deeper than that, especially with LED technology uh, being what it is nowadays. Um, so... Uh, you know, we've done videos through MXU talking about illuminance. Um, you know, our, our end, most of what we measure is, is foot candles, um, you know, because we want to measure, you know, what light is actually reaching the subject and, and, and bouncing back off of it. I remember a conversation you and I had one time about as manufacturers, you guys usually end up measuring it differently because more of what you're measuring, and I'm probably butchering this explanation. This is, you know, please correct me on all this. This is why we're having you on here. But a lot more of what you guys are measuring is, is the power of the lamp source itself or the light source itself. And I know I can already tell from your face I'm butchering that one, but maybe we could start on that. Let's just talk about how you guys measure and factor in illuminance for your light sources. So uh, when you start designing a fixture, um, typically where, where we start, um, rather than starting with the light source, is starting with the application. Uh, what do we want the light to do? And then we'll start to look for an appropriate light source for that. Coming out of that, you'll look at a number of things. You'll look at the size of the source because the size of the source dictates the overall size of the fixture. Uh, you'll look at the total light output. So that's light output and lumens um, of the light source to start with. Um, eventually, that number doesn't matter. What matters is the lumens that you're getting out of the front of the light. So that's delivered lumens as opposed to source lumens. Um, 
And then you also look at some of those other qualities of light that you were talking about, like uh, the initial color temperature. Uh, the CRI usually is um, what most people that manufacture light sources publish. Uh, so we'll look at CRI to get an idea if that's any good. CRI uh, stands for Color Rendering Index. Um, that was really developed uh, to measure. So basically, uh, in the middle of the last century, people started using fluorescent lights. Um, and they were measuring them and saying, hey, it's this bright. But the quality of light was horrible. It was like you'd walk in, you'd be like, oh, I don't know. You guys may be too young, but the lights that I had in my kitchen uh, when I was a little kid, you walk in and there was like a noticeable flicker and like uh, the, the color was just not, you know, when you brought food out of the kitchen, it looked really nice. You had it in the kitchen, it, it didn't look so great. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so they came up with this color measuring system uh, called the color rendering index. And that was based around basically a, a set of uh, color chips and saying, how realistic do these color chips look under fluorescent light? Um, and that worked pretty well. And that became highly adopted. And then as new light sources were brought on, they used the same sort of system. Uh, they tried to update it in the 90s to be a little bit better. Um, and it was a little bit better. But once um, LED came on the scene, LED is super specific, or it can be. Uh, and so it was really easy for people to tune their LED light sources so that they could get really high CRI marks with a quality of light that you would look at it and you'd be like, mm, this is not really good. So um, what came out of that was that they developed new metrics for how to measure lights. And we can talk more about that. Uh, I'm sure you'll, you'll have questions about TM30. Um, there's other measurements like TLCI, uh, which are specifically for cameras. Um, there's a bunch of different measurements, but when we're coming at things from choosing a light source for a fixture, we start with uh, what is the application? How bright should this thing be? How big is it? And then we start to build an optical system around it. And then we also want to know wh what is the quality of light that's required for this application. Mm -hmm. So the quality of light that's required for a beam moving head um, is it really, it wants to be bright. It wants to be a nice color temperature. And then you want to be able to, to easily get it into an optical system that can make a beam. And besides that, you don't care. Right. The quality of light that you want for a light that's going to be used as face light uh, on camera or even just for a live audience, it's, a, it's an entirely different type of light. It's an entirely different quality of light. And for that, you want to think much more heavily about, usually you'll start with the, the metrics from the from the light source supplier, which include um, CRI, but then we'll manipulate that uh, more to get uh, higher TLCI um, because CRI is kind of uh, ultimately not very informative. It's too so easy to cheat. Let's kind of talk specifically about that for a minute because a lot of the people listening to this, again, are going to be church LDs, church production managers that one of the biggest issues uh, they they wrestle with is how do we make the our 
subjects, our pastors, our worship leaders, whoever, look good on camera. And of course, lighting is a big part of that. You know, what we preach a lot is that it doesn't, you can buy the nicest cameras out there, but unless you have your subjects lit well, it's, it's not going to, going to help. Um, you know, kind of maybe even getting a little more specific here. Uh, the Chave Ovation, um, I want to make sure I get this model right. I think it's the 930 VWs, which is your yep. variable white ellipsoidal. That has probably become one of my personal most used, um, sorry, I got my computer jumping around here. It's probably become one of my personal most used ellipsoidals for frontline. You know, we've, um, we've put a, a lot of them in, in, in churches, uh, installed in churches. Um, it's what I specify a lot when I'm designing an event. Um, so I think that kind of dovetails into right where you were talking about. This sounds like a, a specific fixture where you guys probably encountered this. So as you were developing, uh, and um, you might even have an opportunity, I don't know, to compare this. There's the VW model, which is your variable white. And then you have the FC model, which is your, your full color. Both of them will do full color. and Both of them will do a variable white. But one does something a little bit better than the other. Can you maybe, I don't know, is there, are you able to expand on that and talk about maybe some of the factors that came into play when you guys were um, picking light sources? It might be easier for me to kind of talk through where we went from how we got to the full color and then kind of where we identified some of the issues and then we made it better. So I'll start there. So uh, gosh, maybe 10 years ago uh, or around then we launched our first uh, ellipsoidals and they were warm white. They had a really nice color temperature um, and they had good CRI, uh, which at the time was the the uh, best measure that we could find. Define, um, sorry, before you go forward, just so everybody can step to speed with us, define really nice color temperature real quick, because I think that'll be helpful for some people to hear what, what you kind of consider that with a warm white fixture. Okay, so uh, coming out of theater, you know, that was my background, uh, came out of using a lot of uh, incandescent uh, ellipsoidals. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, whether it's source fours or, yeah. yeah. So, um, and really what we had identified was that uh, just under 3,200 is where kind of skin tones and most skin tones uh, start to sort of pink up and, and look nice. So we designed live. it live. Yes. Okay. So we designed this fixture so that when you, you know, so incandescents, when you dim them, the color temperature also goes down. It feels warmer. Uh, and it, you know, kind of turns more red, uh, LEDs, arc sources, other light sources don't do that. Uh, when you dim them, you're either dimming them mechanically in the case of an arc source lamp, uh, and you're just chopping out some light, but it still stays the same color temperature or with LEDs. What you're actually doing is, um, LEDs don't dim by lowering the voltage or the power, uh, they actually turn on and off super, super fast. So fast that your eye can't tell. Um, and so that, you know, you'll, you'll hear uh, people talk about PWM, that's pulse width, modul- pulse width modulation. Uh, that, that is what that is. That's, that's how quick that turns on and off. And so that's measured in Hertz. Um, back in the day, you know, a decade ago, uh, 600 and 1200. Uh, so typically when you're, when, if you're going to use it on a camera, you want to be able to match the, the, uh, electricity that the camera is getting. You want to be able to match the, the frame rate of the camera. And what we found was that typically if we did something that was a multiple of 50 and 60 and was really fast, uh, that it looked pretty good. So that's where we started. Um, since then there's been a lot of, of changes. Um, so the original units, the original led 
wash lights that were out there uh, were like either 300 hertz or 600 hertz. Um, we did 600 and 1200 in our Colorado series. And then when we did, uh, we started with our first ovation, which were the, the kind of theatrically geared uh, fixtures. Um, we started with that 612, 24, and, and did multiples that way. Um, so the color temperature we chose was just over 3000. And then a problem with LEDs is that not LED, every LED is exactly the same. Um, and so in order to, to be able to calibrate these things, we decided that instead of going with one big LED chip that was like 200 watts, we would do 19 individual 10 watt chips that were, you know, uh, the right color temperature and high CRI. And that way, when you have multiple sources, if, if you think of like the, the LEDs laying out on a grid, you know, this is kind of the ideal spot. And you may have one that sits a little up and one that sits a little below and one that sits a little to the left and to the right. And so if you have 19 of them, you still average back to that ideal. So that was where we started with our concept of how to do this and do it right. Um, and that worked really well. And as soon as we launched the full color one or the, uh, the warm white one, people were like, yeah, this is great. Okay. Where's the full color. And we were like, <laughs> well, but that's a whole different kind of science. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So then we started, uh, looking for how to do that. Well, um, and we really didn't feel like the RGBW or the RGB Amber, any of those systems were, were there yet in terms of what LED could do. And we, we just couldn't find it. So we didn't launch a full color version for a pretty long time. Um, and then Philips came out with their Hue light bulb. Uh, and that's that little light bulb you can get for your house, works Bluetooth off your phone, you can dial it around. and we saw that they had a really good uh, CRI and we thought, well, how are they doing this? So we did what any, anybody would do. We went out, we got a Hue light bulb. We started looking you at went, it. You went to Home Depot. That's what you did. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. exactly what we did. Uh, and, and we looked at it and, uh, you know, the red was a nice red and the blue was a nice blue and the green was this weird pale green. And we were like, what is this? And, uh, and that was the lime emitter. Um, and that was the first time that we saw that and we saw kind of what it could do. Um, and when you use that particular color to mix with other colors, you can fill in a part of the spectrum that a lot of LED misses. And so we were able to, to bring up that color rendering. So when, when you're, you, we had the warm white uh, ellipsoidal, if you're making a full color ellipsoidal, it still has to do white light. You know, you're going to use it. Not everything is going to be uh, the blue that's behind Daniel right now. It's you're going to want to light people's faces. You're going to need to light scenery. You're going to need to light all of these other things. So we said, okay, whatever we do, it has to be able to have really good, nice quality of light. It needs to look good on people. It needs to look good on costumes. It needs to be able to do that. So we started looking at different color mixing systems then. Um, then what we saw was that, uh, typically speaking, in a lot of applications, people really wanted color. So we said, you know, we knew we needed red, we knew we needed a deep green, uh, because that's, that's kind of important when you're moving outside of a Philips light bulb. Uh, we knew that we wanted a deep 
deep blue because uh, a lot of lighting designers love that color. Um, we figured we could use the lime to kind of help boost that up, but there was still something that was missing. Uh, and for that, we went with an amber chip. Um, and we found an amber that we thought worked particularly well. So we developed our own color system. Um, we used some LumaLEDs. We used some uh, different LEDs, uh, different LED manufacturers. We designed our own LED PCB so that we could mix the colors that we wanted. We could mix them well. Um, and then we could, we could you know, put something out that could do what we wanted. So that is how we developed the full color system. Um, and then technology just kept getting better. So uh, technology and cameras especially got really good. Um, and we realized that the quality of light that we were putting out from this was really good for most live applications. Um, but there was just a, a kind of a smaller subset where they really needed to have better whites. So we started looking at different white systems again and we realized that we didn't really like the ones that we saw that were out there um, so we thought we would do a modification to our idea of using multiple colors and in this case we said we want to really fill in that spectrum so uh, if you look at a at the chart uh of color uh if you ever see there's like a uh if you look at a, a the output of a light you'll see a spike at blue spike at green a spike at red and then there's these gaps in between the spikes and so what we decided to do was to take a deep blue and a lighter blue and our deep green and the lime and then a red amber and a really deep amber so that we could fill in all of that spectrum and so we created a six color color mixing system that was specifically designed to make really good whites. Uh, you can use it to mix colors. It's great for mixing colors, but because it's six, it's using six different sources. Uh, so your overall brightness in a particular color might not be as bright because if you, you know, if you bring up red in our uh, Ovation E910FC, then you get all of the red. Uh, if you bring up one of the reds in the E930, you can bring up the other red and then you can kind of average them in together, but it, it's not the same. Uh, so we found that, that the E910 works really well for color and we use that same color system in Fresnels, in PARs, in all of that. If you're doing uh, uh, in psych lights and, you know, one of the things that we thought was really important was that if you bought into a color system as an end user, that you could use that color system across all of your fixtures. Um, that's really important because if you're lighting something downstage with, uh, with ellipsoidals and you're lighting scenery upstage and maybe you're using PARs or you're using Fresnels or you're using something else, you want to be able to have that stuff match. You don't yep. want it to be noticeably different. You might want to change how you control the light. You might want to have shutters. Uh, you might want to have gobos. You might want to have that sort of stuff. But you you still need for the colors to match. Exactly. So, for people listening that maybe haven't aren't familiar with what we're talking about here, you know, if you put a whole rig together that has fixtures from multiple manufacturers or even some manufacturers that you're just using different models that that have different 
you know, LED sources or just the way they're configured, you might be able to get a color out of one light that you can't mirror exactly in another light. And when you're trying to make a whole big rig look cohesive color-wise, that can become very frustrating. So this is, is the way that, you know, Chavez solved it for their theatrical slash television style fixtures. Yeah. And, you know, even now, as, as we start to look forward, you know, we're starting to look and say, well, are there, are there better color systems out there? You know, wh- where should we be going next? And I think that that's one of the important things uh, that any, any of the lighting manufacturers that uh, you guys are working with, that you're getting quality gear from, mm-hmm. they're not just saying, oh, we chose this. Now we're, we're here. They're saying, okay, what's coming next? How, how are we going to make this stuff better? Um, so with the, the variable white system, we, we made what we think is a significant uh, improvement in the quality of, of mixed whites. You can bring up 3200 Kelvin on the E910FC. You can bring up 3200 Kelvin on the E930 VW. Uh, if you're shooting them at a white wall, they're going to look really, really similar. Uh, but once you start to put them on subjects, you can see the, the difference. You can see skin tones, costumes react slightly differently. Uh, the E930 just has a, a higher quality of light. That's awesome. And you mentioned this, but a lot of this is being driven, it sounds like, by, like you said, the quality of video cameras increasing and then also the affordability of high quality video cameras now are making it more important so like as video cameras are progressing what are you seeing next that lighting manufacturers are going to have to improve to keep up with video well one of the big things is uh just having control over your the the speed of your pwm your your pulse width modulation so uh we have from the beginning of when we were doing professional LED fixtures had uh, a couple of op- options in there. Um, what we're discovering is that as it's not necessarily studio cameras that are driving this, it's, it's this camera. The iPhone. Uh, yeah. If you go to a concert now uh, and you look around the audience, people aren't holding up lighters. They're holding up their cell phones. They're filming what they're seeing live. If you have lights on there that flicker and pulse because uh, they don't look good because their, their PWM doesn't line up with the camera, that is going to make an artist not look good. And the artist is going to say, I don't know what this lighting guy did, get rid of them. And that lighting guy is going to say, I used your lights and it cost me a gig. Wow. So <laughs> that's fascinating. So is it still a multiple of 50 or 60 or is it variable now? Or what's the, like, wh- where's the sweet spot? Is it? It's, it's impossible now to define a sweet spot because the, the camera that's in my iPhone is not the same camera that's in somebody's galaxy. That's in this, that's that somebody is using as a studio camera or that somebody is using on their, on their laptop, you know, to, to film a, a, a zoom meeting. Uh, you know, none of that is the same. Um, and so you can't really define a sweet spot, but what we have found is that, um, generally the higher the refresh rate, uh, the better it's going to look on camera. There is a trade-off because there's always a trade-off. Generally, the higher the refresh rate, 
the more work that your processor is doing in your in your light. So now, you know, lights used to just plug them in and it was electricity and it heated up a filament and it made light. Now lights are computers. Every light has a processor. You know, they all have PCBs and, you know, so if your light is having to think uh, about what it's doing more because you're doing it more often, you've increased that refresh rate. Um, the dimming typically is the one thing visually that you can notice that suffers. So I think most of our lights shift now set to 1200 Hertz. They might shift to 2400 Hertz. Um, there are options for higher. Uh, we have recently started to experiment with new uh, super high speed LED drivers. So the, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar, but we have a fixture called the Silence. Um, it's a silent moving head. Uh, it was really designed for studio uh, lighting for for uh, places where you might have a, a live audience that's sitting right underneath fixtures. You know, for for again for either theater or for television studio or a small church. Uh, small church is uh, the perfect application actually for that, um, and really they're designed around high quality of light and and being able to look good on camera and to be silent um but the led drivers that we chose for that uh you still do have some options in there but the options are at much higher frame rates like starting at twenty thousand, and typically the highest frame rate the dimming is still uh excellent so that is you know we can drive the technology from the lighting fixture side but we really rely on all sorts of other industries to give us enabling technology to continue to make our lighting fixtures better and you know that comes out of people are now using leds in their house people are using leds everywhere you know five years ago using leds in your house you'd be like eh, I don't know. now it's everywhere uh and so because of that the the people that are making the technology to make leds look better uh are really really in overdrive and that's giving us a lot of new tools to work with um on the fixture design side. Man, that is so awesome. Um, we do have a, a, a kind of a hard out here we're going to do. So I'm going to switch topics a little bit because there's a certain part of this I think the, the listeners will benefit from the most. Um, you know, we hear about illuminance. We hear about foot candles. Or sorry, not foot candles. We hear about color temperature. And we hear about, you know, uh, light quality, which is, as we've already talked about, the most common one we hear is CRI. You already did a great, great job of explaining what CRI is to us. I think most people have gotten to a point now where they generally understand uh, color temperature. That's not a hard one to understand. And even with technology, you know, when I was coming up through the lighting business, we didn't have digital cameras. We didn't have Photoshop. We didn't have these things that already start to teach people about color temperature in, in other ways. So I think that's one most people have a grasp on. So the, the, the two that I think people can benefit most from being educated about are illuminance and light quality. Um, as I kind of mentioned earlier, you know, in, in when we're doing events and, and what people hear me talk about through these MXU videos is measuring in foot candles, you guys measure in, in lumens and that's what, usually what you put in your paperwork and that's what a lot of manufacturers do. And you've explained this to me before and I love your, your layman's ability to kind of explain it out in an understandable way. Could you dive into that for a minute? Like what is the difference in those two measurements and how are they sure. used differently? Um, I'm going to throw in a, another one, which is also lux. Yes. Okay. So, uh, so lumens is just the total quality of, or the, the total quantity of light. Uh, if, if, if you think of light like paint, it's how much paint is 
in your bucket. Okay. So now, okay, I've got this many lumens. Mm -hmm. Uh, Foot candles and Lux, Lux is is the metric version of foot candles. It's the delivered, basically, lumens at a given distance. Um, Foot candles is based around actually the light that a candle puts out. Um, and Lux is, is based around uh, lumens at a distance. And, and I guess in video, you also have nits, which is the number of lumens coming out over a, a surface, but mm-hmm. too much information there. Uh, dropping this back to make it uh, make more sense. Once you put that paint on the wall, that's your, your foot candles or your Lux. So how thick that paint is when you spread it on. Um, so f- a lighting fixture may say, hey, we put out 50,000 lumens. And you go, wow, that's a lot of lumens. That doesn't actually mean anything. What matters is where is the light after it comes out of the fixture? Exactly. How much of it comes out of the fixture? How much of it is lost inside? You know, And then how much of it comes out of the front of the fixture? And then when it gets to where I need for it to be, how bright is it? And, and what does it look like? Um, so there are a couple of things to think about with that. We put all of our measurements, we do lux at, uh, for all of our professional fixtures, we list lux at five meters, um, except beams, because beams are too bright. So we do lux at 15 meters, but five meters is roughly 18 feet. Um, and what that tells you is, okay, if I hang this thing up at a reasonable height and it's shooting down on a target, this is how many lux I'm going to have. Um, you know, a, a nice uh, uh, fixture that is lighting people, you know, you might, depending on your application, depending on if you're, you know, making it cozy and homey or if it's a bright outdoor uh, situation, you might want anywhere between 50 and 500 uh, lux on that person. Mm-hmm. Um, So that's really going to be dependent on what your application is, what camera you're using, if you're using cameras, or uh, what kind of scene you're coming from. Is it a dark scene that you're building on, or is it, uh, or is it really, really bright? You can't suddenly drop the light, the total quality, the total amount of light down, and nobody will be able to see it. Our eyes don't adjust that fast. Um, So, lumens is the amount of light. Lux is the amount of light hitting the person. Uh, and foot candles is the same thing. It's basically the difference between potential and application-based output. Yes, P- potential and deliver and and what's delivered. Um, and that that's another thing is that you'll see lighting manufacturers and their specs will list lumens, um, and they'll also list lux. There are there's a lot of arguments about that. Um, and you'll, you'll see people argue it. Some lighting manufacturers will list, uh, lumens at the light source. Some will list lumens that come out of the front of the fixture. Um, when you see something that has high lumens and low lux at five meters, you know, what does that mean? Well, to me, you know, you might think that's a bad thing. If, if you're just thinking about it off the top of your head, uh, to me, the first thing I would look at is the beam angle. If it's a really wide beam angle, it's spreading that out over a lot more. So it's obviously going to spread it thinner. Um, if you have two fixtures that have similar lumens and they're at the same distance and similar beam angles, but one fixture has lower lux, 
that tells me that the fixture with lower lux actually has a more even field. So when people measure lux, sometimes they'll do what we do, which is that they take nine points and they average it and they say, okay, this is the average lux over the surface. Sometimes they'll find the hottest, the brightest spot and they'll stick their light meter on there and they'll say, okay, this is this lux. It's so much brighter than this other fixture. But when you look at the light, it's got this big bright splotch and then this kind of it works out from there. And uh, so that, that is all kind of, you can get hints of that just by looking at those lumens and lux numbers. Very interesting. That is very interesting. So it'd probably be safe to say, I'm just kind of paraphrasing and maybe putting words in your mouth a little bit, but for consumers, you know, looking at the written materials from manufacturers is a great starting point, but there's not a defined industry, industry standard on how manufacturers have to measure these values. And so it's a good starting point, but ultimately you still want to put your own eyes on the product before you invest funds into yes. it. Because one manufacturer might measure directly at the source. One manufacturer might re- measure at the front of the fixture once that light has gone through different filters, heat shields, whatever. And, you know, one is, one is perhaps maybe a little more honest to real world uh, measurements than, than the other. Yeah. yeah and, and you'll find most of the, of the major manufacturers will measure lumens you know outside of their fixture they'll say delivered lumens um but uh lumen is not something that you can measure Uh, i have a very specialized tool called a gonio photometer um and it 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 is uh it has its own room (laughs) and uh and it is how we do uh specialized lighting measurements um and what really ultimately matters to the consumer is, uh, and, and by consumer, I mean, not just, you know, the Daniels out there who are the lighting designers, um, but also the, the people sitting in seats, you know, also the talent or the pastor on stage, you know, uh, also the, the guys delivering the video content. Everybody that sees it, what matters to them is not lumens. They, they, you know, that, that can give them a clue, but how does this actually look? What colors can it make? How does it look on people? How does it look for my application? I'm not using this on people. I want to light stripes up a wall. How much control do I have? Can I, is it going to be really hot spot at the bottom and really dim at the top? Or does it have some kind of control where I can, it's asymmetrical. So it makes it brighter as it gets up the wall. So it kind of evens that out. Um, can I have shutters so I can change the shape of the beam. All of that stuff is what matters. And the only way for you to determine the right light for your application, uh, when you've narrowed it down, you can start by looking at specs, is to get a few of each one into your space. Um, most of your major dealers, if, if you're you know, looking at, at doing a, a larger renovation or anything, they're absolutely going to be willing to come in and do a shootout or bring Mm -hmm. demo gear so that you can see it in your space. You know, if you're buying four lights, that might be tough for them. Mm -hmm. But if you're looking at at upgrading a lighting system, uh, they're always going to do that. And even if you're buying four lights, they may say, you know what, I have one you can borrow, take this one, take it to your space, put it next to what you're using now uh, and, and see how you like it. And that'll give you an idea. Yeah. We, I'd say as a company, that's exactly what we try and do is anything we sell, we do our best and we can't do with everything, but 
the stuff we deal with most commonly, we try and keep a few examples around for exactly the, this reason. You know, we want the clients to build experience in their space and make sure the right decision is made. And it's going to be the right thing that works for them. And even as a professional that's been doing this for, you know, a few decades at this point, sometimes until I see it in the space, I can't tell. So yeah, most companies worth their salt work to help make that happen in some way. Yeah. And, and it's not just seeing it in the space, it's seeing it, you know, next to the tools that you're using. You know, maybe you need two or three to figure out you know, your different angles and whatever. But uh, especially I found that, um, you know, when, when we developed the Ovation stuff, it was about going into theaters and going into churches and going into applications and them saying, well, I've got these source fours here that I'm using now. And, you know, how does it compare against that? Because this says that it has all these lumens. Okay, well, let's turn it on. Let's look at them next to each other. Let's use them. Let's Let's put a gobo in these. Grab me the colors that you like to use. Let's put them in the lights and see how they look. And more often than not, people go, oh, hey, this stuff's, hey, I like this. This is good. Um, That's been my experience. But I would say that with any lighting manufacturer, get the lights in. Uh, If you have lights you're using now and you're trying to improve them, make sure that the lights that you're getting are an improvement. If you're just trying to, you know, upgrade technology and you you really like the look that you have now, make sure that you can make those looks with these new lights. That's Uh, because not all not all light sources are the same. Exactly. We literally only have a couple minutes left, but there's one last topic that I, I just don't want us to move on like or in this without touching on. So this is the, you're in an elevator with somebody, you have about 30 seconds to a minute to explain this topic. Um, we've talked about CRI, we've talked about TM30, but we haven't talked about the difference and kind of, you know, in the two and why we're starting to, to use TM30 more. Why? Okay. Uh, there's a few reasons and I'll, I'll keep it short and sweet. One is that, um, TM30 is more accurate. So rather than just uh, like 14, 16 selections of of color that you're testing against, you're testing against 99 selections of color. Um, So uh, the score that comes out of that is more accurate. What is Um, the range of the score? What's the top and the bottom? So that's an interesting question because it sort of changes. For CRI, it's zero to a hundred zero meaning no quality of light, which I guess would mean no light or maybe like one particular, uh, nanometer of light. Um, but it would look terrible. And 100 being light that is the same quality as the sun, um, for TM 30, that actually changes. So TM 30 gives you two scores. It gives you color fidelity and it gives you color gamut. Um, so, RF is fidelity, RG is gamut. RF can go up to 100. And and that's saying this is how accurate, you know, it's sort of like CRI. This is how accurate um, this will render color. Um, This is the fidelity of that. The gamut is actually the really cool number. That score can go above 100. It can be below 100. And it's how saturated this is. So your regular incandescent light bulb will have a a fidelity and a gamut of a hundred. But if you have good color fidelity, um, sometimes you like to have things that are a little more saturate, a little more punchy in terms of color. So I like to target having a color gamut above a hundred and a color fidelity near a hundred. 
And then the third reason why uh, this is really good is because TM30 gives you this little chart. Um, it's a circle and it has the spectrum in the circle and it shows you exactly what colors are missing, exactly where you have too much. So the, the color is your, uh, is the, the circle is basically your gamut. So if it's shooting outside, then you know you have extra color, extra of that particular color. If it's all inside and there's big dips inside and you have black splotches inside, you can see what's missing. Uh, you can look at the overall shape of that and it gives you an idea of how, how colors shift. You know, my shirt is this kind of bluish purple. Um, under some light, it will look blue. Under some light, it will look purple. The, the diagram that you get with the, the uh, TM30 information can help you know how that's going to work, which way my, my, light, my shirt will shift. Man, that is so awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, you know, this is definitely one I'm personally going to go back and listen to because even like Ford and I have had these conversations before. I still just learned a ton more listening to that explanation. So, man, I I want you to come back on because I I didn't say much, but I'm it's it's like I was listening to someone else's podcast. Like I'm just in right now. I'm I'm very deep. very interesting. <laughs> yeah. So, right, so well, I, I hope I didn't get, get, get didn't get too in the weeds, but uh, no, that, that, not that at was all. perfect. Can we, we invite you back? We'll get you back on. Yeah, maybe absolutely. In a couple months. You, can, love you can invite me back on, and if you want to, um, I can I can give you guys some of these uh, some uh, TM thirty reports, uh, and then if you so that you can see what I was talking about. Yeah, um, and if you'd like, then uh, on the next one, I can talk you through how to read them, uh, and and so that your your customers, when they see them in the wild, they can know what they're looking at. That might That'd be, be awesome. Something that's yeah. actually interesting and useful. That's terrific. Instead of me just blathering. <laughs> that's great, man. <laughs> well, thanks again for uh, for taking the time and enjoy that South Florida winter weather. Yeah, it's it's all right right now. You know, it's uh, I'm not complaining. 70s okay yeah that reminds me good. that's why we need to close this down so i can go out and finish sho shoveling snow in front of our our shop so. <laughs> very good well thanks again for being here for it it was a great pleasure and we'll talk again soon i'm sure well it was a pleasure uh, um, uh it was a pleasure that you guys had me i was really really excited to be here so awesome. thanks a lot and we'll talk later great all right awesome. okay well that was awesome and everyone's brains are mush and We've said this a lot, like, oh, I can't wait to have this guy back and only Robert Scoville comes back. Um, but for real, this guy has got to come back. So absolutely, even that last bit about TM30 and how to read it, like I could tell we just lifted the hood on like a whole other planet there. So that's awesome. Daniel, is your uh, moleskin full of notes? Absolutely. Now that's, yeah, that's what I love about being around uh, Ford and just, We've had similar conversations to this, but usually he and I are, are busy and running in different directions or, you know, maybe have five minutes to dive into this. I am literally going to go back and listen to this one myself. And I'm going to make sure I make everyone on my team go back and listen to it because this is really getting into the, the nuts and bolts of how to figure out, you know, quality of light, you know, and what, what, yep. what's, what really matters as we're looking at the stuff and what doesn't. Well, and what's reassuring about them as a manufacturer is that I can tell just by listening to them that they really care about this stuff and they're going to go to great lengths to make sure that whatever they're designing and building is going to perform 
to the best of its ability for the applied purpose. And so I think that, you know, that's a great insight too, just to know that, you know, they're, they're really thinking about the end user and the application as they design new products. It's awesome. Yeah, and I mean, they're thinking about church too. You know, they've got staff dedicated to house of worship, which we always love partnering with companies that do that. So love those guys. Well, I love partnering with you guys on this podcast. So thanks again for another great episode. Yeah, it was a good one. You guys. I can't wait for the next one. We've got some big surprises in store for episode episode 50. 50. Come on, baby. (laughs) So stay tuned. All right, Jeff, I'll see you in person in a few days. Yes, sir. All right. See you guys. All right. We'll see you.